A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's opening day. The Rays host the Toronto Blue Jays at the Trop, 6 40 p.m. tonight. First pitch, Charlie Morton in his first opening day assignment, if you can believe that. What did we learn about the Rays in spring training 2.0, and how will they make use of that deep pitching staff? Who will emerge as their closer? And what about some of the new Rays additions like Yoshi Susugo and Jose Martinez and others? And how will they match up against the NL East teams as well? We've got all that to talk about on opening day with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, the Rays beat writer, here on Sports Day Tampa Bay, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Mark, uh, a most bizarre start, obviously. Uh, not the opening day, certainly not on the calendar that we anticipated. Uh, they've gone through now a, a spring training 2.0. Let's start there, because obviously when these guys came back, everything had changed. The whole world had changed, and so had their habits and rules and, and all the things that they have to do. So just in watching these guys in this abbreviated time, what have we, what have we learned about Rays, about the Rays in this time? What do we know how baseball will look and feel different? Well, it's weird because I, I think having you know, read everything and, and written a few things before camp started about how different it was all going to be, Rick, it's actually been kind of normalized. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's because some of the rules are just being ignored, which is probably the case to a degree. And some of it's just been kind of seamlessly adopted. And, yeah. you know, you see guys standing uh, like the coaches instead of standing in a close group, standing six feet apart, you know, before batting practice starts where they kind of all get together and, and you know, mm-hmm. cash talks and things like that. You see guys coming off the field after a home run and inner squad game. And, you know, one or two guys are doing fist bumps with batting gloves on. A couple of guys are doing the air fist bumps, the air arm bashes. So you see some, some things like that. I think the most jarring thing and, and, for people who watch the game uh, tonight and, and who watch games, you know, going forward, especially the first time you watch it, is that some players are wearing masks on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, they're supposed to wear them in the dugouts. Anybody's in the dugout not playing is supposed to wear them, but on the field it's optional. And, you know, during the last week or so of uh, the race spring 2.0, several players, G-Man Choi, Brandon Lau, Yandy Diaz, were three of the most notable ones, wearing them on the field. And, and some other guys said they're thinking about it too. Mike Zanino, one of the catchers, was been wearing one and, and, you know, which is, you wonder too how that's going to work once they get outside and it's really hot, but at least in the trop, he's been wearing it. And so that to me is the most interesting thing, but there are other rules and you're things that you're so used to seeing. You're not supposed to see now a guys throwing the ball around the infield a guy, bringing the glove out and cap out for the guy who's mm-hmm. on the bases when the last out is made. Um, Pitchers are supposed to bring their own rosin bag to the mound. There's not going to be a communal rosin bag. It's supposed to be uh, pine tar and the donuts when you're warming up, the batting, the donut that goes around the bat. You're supposed to be individualized equipment. There's no bat boy. So just little things like that that if you watch a lot of baseball, those are the kind of things I think people will notice. I'm with you, though, Mark. The, the couple days I was out there uh, with you, it, it seemed like the players had – that this had been more seamless than I expected. I mean, look – sunflower seeds, tobacco, spitting in general, um, you know, all those things that uh, the baseball players have done forever. Um, and somehow they've, they've managed to break those habits and, and, you know, catchers wearing a mask over a mask, those sort of things I, I, I'm still a little stunned by, but they've, they have adapted and that's, that's been encouraging. Um, 
you know, I, I, I think the games will – you were there when they first tested the, the sound of the game. I, I, I actually think if you're watching from home and you kind of hear that ambient sound and it'll get better with respect to, you know, jacking it up when something good happens, I think even, even the aesthetically, with the, with the exception of the fans, and I know they'll have some tarps and stuff that'll kind of, depending on the camera angles, will kind of reduce that. But it's going to look and sound like baseball if you're at home watching it. I think it is, and I think most people are going to be pleasantly surprised. I mean, there's going to be some people that are going to rip the the fake crowd noise, and I've seen some mm-hmm. of the some people trying to take it down, you know, just on social media and, and stuff after these first few days. But here's the reality, Rick. I mean, I've been out there. Uh, they had 21 days of camp, and I went to every single day of it. And you know, I can tell you that when they were playing, you know, even if it was a, a simulated game or a glorified, modified batting practice, whatever, mm-hmm. but. When they were playing with no noise, it was mm-hmm. really noticeable. It was stark. Yeah. And you did hear everything. And, you know, they put this kind of, it's called low murmur, I think, is the actual name of the track. Right. There's three levels. They kind of had low, medium, and high for the, the murmur, which is just kind of the, the background noise. And then they can, as you say, raise it up, you know, to make it more of a cheer for a good play or a, mm-hmm. just create more of a buzz, like on a three, two count, two outs, runners in motion, those type of plays. But, when you heard that that kind of ambient noise, that white noise, that soundtrack, and then when you went a day without it, which is what happened at the Trop, it was really different, and you you did appreciate it. It didn't, it wasn't annoying. Right. You know, one of the writers, uh, one of the other ballparks where they first tried it, said it was felt like he felt like he was standing there with a vacuum running next to his head for three hours. I didn't feel that way at all. I thought it was welcomed, it mm-hmm. much more normal, and it, it did. It disguised some of the awkwardness, and I think that was the most important thing. Well, uh, there's going to be a lot of changes with respect to uh, the roster, who's available to them. Uh, we'll get into some of that. Let's just look at the decisions that they have made um, with respect to the, the players that are on this baseball team for now. Um, what What are some of the surprises? Were there any disappointments? Uh, obviously, you, you know, they lost Colin Poche to Tommy John surgery. That created an opportunity for somebody else, not something that they were, um, you know, forecasting and and, and Certainly you had plans for Colin, but what do you make of, of the way this roster is going to break camp? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that stood out. One, obviously the loss of Poche, as, as you pointed out, Tommy John, which means not just all this year, but probably a good chunk, if not all next year, mm-hmm. too. And, you know, it was a guy they really had high hopes for. But, you know, Austin Meadows went on the injured list with a COVID-19 case. And, and whereas some of the other players uh, that they had, three other guys um, that we know of that had it came back kind of right after their 14-day quarantine and, you know, stepped right in. Tyler Glass now, his first day back, telling think he could throw five or six innings. And uh, Chirinos uh, looks like he's going to make the roster. Having done it, Jose Martinez is going to be on the roster. So they both came back along with Glass now. But Austin Meadows went on the injured list and, and has not uh, been cleared to return yet, which requires like two uh, ne- negative tests within 24 hours an antibody test and you have to be like seen by a doctor. So there's a couple steps there, but so I think missing Austin Meadows, losing Poche are two of the big things. And as far as decisions, carrying three catchers earlier in the camp, I remember specifically asking cash one night about that and him him saying that, no, that wasn't really the way they were leaning. And then I think what happened is they, they got a little spooked. They lost, they had two veteran guys on non-roster deals, Chris Herman and Kevin Smith. They lost Chris Herman. He had an opt-out, and he took it to go uh, have the opportunity to sign somewhere else. Kevin Smith had a slightly different version of it called an assignment clause, but if he wanted out and another team wanted him, the Rays had to assign his contract. They didn't want to risk losing him also, mm. so they went ahead and put him on the 40-man roster, but he's also out of options, so you can't take him off the active roster. So 
they kind of forced themselves to carry three catchers because they wanted to make sure they had a third option. The only other guy on the player pool is Ronaldo Hernandez, their top catching prospect, but he's a young kid and he hasn't played above Class A. Now, ironically, he came up to the Trop two days in a row uh, this week and tore it up, homered both days and threw out a runner and looked really good. But uh, reality, I don't think you're going to put him in a major league game this year. So they wanted to have that third catcher. Now they're going to have him on a daily basis. He's a pretty good right-handed hitter. He could be a certainly be a pinch hitter. He could DH depending on you know how they had it set up. If they had Martinez at first and and Yandy at third, they could uh, use Kevin Smith as a right hand DH if they really wanted to go heavy righty against a lefty. So mm-hmm. he's going to have some value to them. But that forced their hand a little bit. The other thing is because some of these starting pitchers aren't going to be ready to go very deep. I mean, Charlie Morton, you know, is on the record as saying it feels weird to only be ready to throw five innings, not seven. Blake Snell came out earlier this week and said he feels like he's in the third week of spring training, not ready to start a season. You know, he struggled to get through two innings and threw, I think, 47, 48 pitches. Glass now for his kind of bravado of I'm ready to go five or six coming off the COVID list and saying he didn't have any symptoms. He struggled to get through three innings. So some of these guys are going to be three and four inning guys, not five or six or seven inning guys. So as a result, they're stocking up on pitchers. Uh, 16 pitchers looks like it's going to be the magic number. You know, it's a 30-man roster, so it shortens you up a little bit on the bench. They probably are, you know, in a perfect world with a 30-man roster, would have rather had 15 position players. But I think they're going to go 16 and 14, it looks like, for tonight. And by doing that, you know, they have some protection arm-wise, and they, they have a little less flexibility on the bench. But I think you've got to protect yourself. The other thing is they don't know how many relievers they really want to go out and throw back-to-back. And, you know, in our pre-production meeting, by the way, Steve, good catering, Um, the pre-production meeting, we talked about the fact they play 39 games in the first 41 days. So, you know, I know these guys and how much they, they, they treasure their pitchers, how much they protect them. And the last thing they want to do is is just run a guy, you know, whoever you want to say, Castillo, Nick Anderson, uh, Oliver Drake, whoever it is, and try to run a guy out there two in a row or three in a row or three out of four or something like that, right at the start of this with the shorter spring knowing they've got to play, you know, like I said, 39 out of the first 41 days. Well, uh, and we're familiar with those guys. There are some new pitchers, though, that, that are on this roster that's part of that group that showed some things in the spring I think they feel good about, right? There's one guy that I, I you know, I hate to always say this because it makes me look like I'm not very good at my job, but if you and I had sat down before spring 2.0 started and said, all right, let's, let's, here's the 10 or 11 or 12 pitchers that are obviously on the team, and here's the next five or six that are probably on the team, and then here's three or four more that have a chance. I'm not sure we still would have gotten to Ryan Thompson. <laughs> right. And he's on the team. He's a 28-year-old <laughs> guy who uh, pitched at A and AA last year for the Rays, was invited to spring training. It looked like one of those guys like, no, nah, they need one more. you got to have an even number of pitchers you because know, it works out. you got enough mounds. you got an even number of pitchers. Let's bring this guy in. Side armor, uh, not not quite submarine, but probably even even like a, a like you say south to southwest. You know, he's like mm-hmm. a little below sidearm, but he's not quite all the way to to um, submarine. Laredo. Yeah, he was in uh, Astros organization, missed the whole 2018 season due to Tommy John. The race took him in their minor league rule five draft, which I think is like a five grand fee or something, really cheap. Uh, obviously, had done some really good scouting on him, decided he was healthy, worth the gamble, and. This kid's been something. I mean, he pitched three times. He came up to the trop three different times during this uh, spring 2.0, and all three times, Cash was like, wow, like, did you guys see his stuff? And you mm-hmm. could tell he was kind of taking a liking to him. So it wasn't like a shock 
that right. he you know made the roster. But certainly, if we hit that conversation at the start of spring, we would not have picked him to make the roster. But what what a what an assortment! And this is it's more of a visual than a, than, a, than a thing to say you know, on a podcast or even to write in the paper. But if you had a picture of the delivery of each one of these Rays relievers. Yeah. And the different looks that they're going to present to hitters, especially as, you know, Cash and Kyle Snyder are usually pretty masterful at matching this up. And yes, there's the three batter rule now that's going to change things a little bit, but just the, the, uh, the options that they're going to have to go to and, and just to, to befuddle opposing hitters. And, and uh, Kevin Smith, who's obviously now, as I said, with the Rays, but he had a quote the other day and he said, there's not one of those guys you have a comfortable at bat against. And that's that's a pretty good way to go into a season, knowing your bullpen is that good that hitters would say that. They also have a left-hander that can throw from underneath their sidearm or sweep the ball as well, which I haven't seen in a while. Yeah, with Aaron Loop. So, yeah, yeah. you really think about that. They've got uh, Ryan Thompson, like I said, who's somewhere between sidearm and submarine mm-hmm. from the right side. And then Aaron Loop, who's probably more like between three-quarters and sidearm. Yeah. Uh, from the left side and and at different speeds i mean loops you know high 80s low 90s thompson can get up to like 92 93 and then okay turn it over to the other guys to castillo and alvarado who were <laughs> pumping 97 98 99 and nick anderson who's got that elevated fastball that nobody can seem to hit mm-hmm. uh obviously you know we said pochet's out of the mix now but you got oliver drake who faced 104 lefties i think it was last year and like six got on or something like you know a right-hander then you got Chaz Room throwing his frisbee slider. You know, you just just the the different weapons that these guys have, and it, it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays. You know, we we talk uh, about the Rays and, and the depth of the organization, and, and it starts with pitching, I think. Um, and you think that that's their edge for 162 games, Mark? I think you know, particularly at the start, I and mean, everybody's talked about how important it is to get off to a good start in this in this uh, sprint. But I, I think that the depth is going to help them in this situation as much or more when guys aren't stretched out, when, when you can go to the, that number of bullpens and mix and match almost from the first game. I mean, in other words, is Kevin Cash going to have to manage, um, you know, like, like every game uh, it, it has a huge significance, which, of course, it does. No, it does. And, and yeah, there's a, there's a number that's been flying around. And it's 2.7, and, and you're going to hear people talk about that through this baseball season, and that's the difference of playing 60 games versus 162. Each each game, if you want to go on the scale of 162, each game in a 60-game season counts 2.7 times. And wow. you, know, you and I have had this conversation before that one baseball game, I mean, I'm sorry, that one Bucks game is the equivalent to 10 Rays games in a that's normal right. season. And, you know, the, the overreaction that people have when one team loses a football game and, and things like that mm-hmm. or gets down in the first half and, yeah, that's the equivalent of ten baseball games. Well, you know, here's baseball on more of a football scale now. It's not quite, yeah. you know, sixteen games, but sixty yeah. games baseball wise is significantly different. It's thirty seven percent of the season, and mm-hmm. you know, it is going to create that that impact. I mean, the old saying and goes back, and your dad was a great baseball coach for so many years back in the day, and you know, but people say every team's going to win sixty and lose sixty, right? And that's what you do with the other forty two games that ends up usually deciding who wins and who loses. And now what is it going to be? Every team's going to win 10 and lose 10. And what you do with the other 40 is going to make the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's, uh, that's what we're looking at. A unique, uh, a unique season. And in, in just in terms of just, you know, the numbers, I'm curious what, what you think, uh, you know, as you look at this team, I mean, I, 
I think about who are their regular players. I mean, they have such versatility built in to their lineup as well, right? I mean, we know, you know, there's going to be um, obviously certain players that will play a lot, um, you know, and but I don't think you can get past maybe three or f- maybe four everyday guys, Mark. I mean, how how many guys, how much mixing and matching will he do in the lineup um, for guys that aren't pitchers? You know, Rick, I'm not even sure if I would say there's three or four everyday players. And, and I think in years past, I've said that there were two, which was Willie Adamas and Kevin Kiermeyer. And I'm not sure yeah. if Kevin Kiermeyer is an everyday player this year because they got wow. Manuel Margot, who's You're a right. really, really good defensive center fielder uh, mm-hmm. as well, who hits from the right side. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, and this, this, is a, this is a different if than in the past when you say if everyone's healthy, because it usually just means injuries. But now you say if everyone's healthy, which means. No one gets you know sidelined by uh, COVID nineteen, and it's not just having a positive test. You're out of action. If you take a test that doesn't, and you comes back positive, you're obviously out. If you take a test and the results don't come back when they're supposed to, it's a delayed test. You can be held out of action. Mm. If you uh, are around someone else, either with the team or in your personal life, and you admit to it, which obviously is a trust factor here, you're out till your your symptom till you get tested because you were exposed if you show symptoms when you come to the ballpark you're supposed to be taken out of action so you know they could literally have lineups that change the day of the game as guys show up at the ballpark if somebody has a temperature or something but you know if everyone's healthy i think willie adamas might be the only guy who starts 50 55 games i mean he's he's on Mm -hmm. record saying he wants to start all 60 i don't think that'll happen but you know, I could see Kiermaier getting platooned a little bit. G-Man Choi is going to get platooned at first base. Brandon Lau is going to play a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, he might be the next closest thing. And some of that will be at second base. And some of that will be in left field. And some of that will be at DH. But he may play a lot. But as far as a guy who's going to play, you know, 85% of the games, let's say, if that's a cutoff here to be considered an everyday guy, it might only be Willie Adamas at shortstop. Wow. And, and so uh, having said that, with that flexibility, again, uh, Kevin Cash can do some things. What kind of what kind of a team do you think it will be? In other words, they've got some guys that can can hit the long ball. Obviously, they've added some players that potentially could do that as well. Or do you think it's going to be you know a team that's that's going to have to run, um, move some move some runners, string some hits together? I mean, just what kind of an offense do you think they'll have eventually? I think they're they're shading toward, uh, or they were trying to shade toward more of a power offense. To be honest with you, I think that you know part of the deal of you know t- taking the fringe pieces out of it of of trading Tommy Pham for Hunter Renfro was to get more power. Right, right. And I think part of the deal of letting Avisel Garcia go and then turning around and signing Yoshi Tutsugo from Japan again, just look at it in terms of trading those two guys out. I think that was to get more power. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you know Zanino hopeful return to well, I won't even say prominence let's just say his return to respectability after the offensive right. year he had last year would be a way to add more power mm-hmm. you know Willie Adamas was a 20 homer guy over you know 162 last year uh but a guy whose power is still coming a little bit you know, yeah. Yandy Diaz uh showed some power early on then he got hurt and then it kind of went away and then he got hurt again and then he kind of went away for a long time and he came back in the wild card game and hit two home runs so Brandon Lau was on pace for, you know, maybe 40 homers had he not gotten hurt last year just before the All-Star game. So I think they're banking on the upgrades in power with Tsutsugo and Renfro uh, and then the full season obviously having to be, you know, asterisked and extrapolated, but a full season from Brandon Lau and Yandy Diaz 
a return to respectability by Zanino, and they're thinking they can hit some more homers. So they don't have a lot of speed, and, and that's probably still a little bit of a flaw. And Kiermaier's the guy who has the speed, but he doesn't steal any bases. Right. So I don't think they're they're a motion offense yet, so to speak. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I think Kevin Cash does so many other creative things. I'd be curious to have seen him manage the team like back when they had, you know, BJ Upton and Carl Crawford, and those guys were stealing thirty and forty and fifty bases. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how Cash worked with that. But I don't I don't think you're going to see much of a motion offense now. Cash doesn't like to bunt a lot either, so you know, some hit and runs, maybe things like that. Try to get something going. He'll definitely do that, but. You don't see a lot of call steals. Uh, you don't see a lot of bunt plays. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they play with the extra inning rule. Don't forget that's different now where a runner starts on second base. And right. you know, a lot of teams, it's going to be just the standard play unless you know, over, the RBI yeah. guy's up to bunt that guy over and give yeah. up one of your outs for, you know, it's weird because you give up one out to get him to third, but then also you only have one chance to score him on a sack fly that way too. So you're, you're sure. making kind of a calculation there that the next guy's going to be able to put the ball in the air. So, uh, that'll be curious to see how the Rays play that too, because that would be a situation where having some speed and some bunting would help you. I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, Yoshi uh, Susugo. You know, I the, the little bit I saw on Mark, the one thing that jumped out at me, and you know, I might have watched five at bats, is that this guy does not swing at a bad pitch. <laughs> He's got a really good eye, um, and yet I, I guess they expect him to hit hit with power eventually. Um, how do you think he'll adjust? I mean, you've seen a lot of players come from different countries. Um, and, and, you know, what's that like the first time around the big leagues? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to say, and, and, you know, this is, you know, this is part of an impression from Port Charlotte four months ago and part of an impression from three weeks yeah. of a really weird camp now, but I, I don't think, I don't think he's looked particularly impressive at the plate. You know, yeah. He started out well in Port Charlotte the first week or two, and then he kind of hit a lull. And I think he struck out his last 13, 12, his last 13 times or something before spring training got shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've noted several people have said he looked more comfortable since they've come back here in spring point 2.0. But I just don't haven't seen that. You're right. He, he's got a good, some good sense of plate discipline. But, you know, then he kind of gets himself out on some rollover ground balls and some strikeouts yeah. and. So it's going to probably take some time. It's going to take an adjustment. Look, we've I know we've had this conversation is the list of uh, players, position players who come over from Japan that have had success in the major leagues as power hitters is pretty much Hideki Matsui. Yep. I mean, you know, Ichiro has power, but he really wasn't a power hitter over here. Uh, right. Otani may turn out to be that, but certainly is too small of a sample size to judge that. But, you know, Hideki Matsui is kind of the beginning and the end of that list. And, and even, I think, if you look at his first season, the first 70 or 80 or 85 games or something, he really wasn't doing very well either. And then he kind of put it together and, and finished strong in the second half. But, you know, it's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be an adjustment to the level of velocity uh, that Tutsugo is going to see and the quantity of the velocity yeah. of how many pitchers. In fact, mm. there was a, a funny aside earlier in camp where uh, they were doing some of these simulated games, and it just happened to work out that Tutsugo faced Alvarado like two two or three times in a row, not days in a row, but two or three times in a row because they don't play every day. Uh, and Chad Matola, the hitting coach, said that he actually called Tutsugo over and said, we're going to get you some right-handed at-bats. I know it's been tough on you. And 
hey, just by the way, not everybody's that good. Like, don't <laughs> don't worry that everybody's as good as Jose Alvarado. You're going to have easier at bats. Trust me on this. But, yeah. you know, almost like kind of joking with him to make sure his confidence didn't get down. So, yeah, if we were doing a list of, of key guys that the Rays are going to need to do, you know, what's been expected of them, he'd certainly be very high on the list. Another guy the Rays fans will be watching for the first time is Jose Martinez, who missed – uh, most of, of this uh, spring 2.0, I guess he's back. Mark, where where does he play? Um, what will people notice about his game? Uh, well, he's not a very good first baseman, but he's a yeah. better first baseman than he is an outfielder where the Cardinals used him. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see him at first base a little bit. I'm guessing it'll be in games where he quickly gets defensed for uh, as soon as they grab a lead, uh, mm-hmm. if they do, and, and get him out of there. But he's a guy who has one of those just one of those knacks one of those innate abilities he's not a great body he doesn't look particularly yeah. athletic uh but he finds a way to get the bat on the ball and yeah. cash actually used the phrase i think it was wednesday of this week where he said he he gets the bat on the ball and he creates havoc he makes things happen and he's a bad ball hitter he did i think it was tuesday or wednesday he swung at a pitch like up around his eyes and like laced a single in the gap i mean he's just a guy <laughs> that finds a way to put the ball in play and you know, that's something that in the past we've talked about where the Rays were a little bit, you know, lacking in that. They had too many guys who were strikeout type of guys who didn't put the ball in play, didn't move runners. And I think Jose Martinez is a guy who has the capability to do that. It'll be a little bit challenged getting at bats for him. And, and, you know, I mentioned Kevin Smith being the third catcher, also being a right-handed hitter. So there may be days where it's like one of those guys can be the DH and the other guy is going to, you know, just be reduced to pinch hitting. But I think they expect Jose Martinez, despite the defensive issues, to to be in that lineup when they play a lefty somewhere, no matter what. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I know, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about the bullpen. I, I think it'll take some time to, to figure this out. And, and, and Kevin Cash will mix and match and try to get through innings especially early on when, when the uh, starters are not built up all that much. But, you know, Mark, at, at some point at the end of last year, they fell into a nice little rhythm um, with some of those guys. And, of course, Emilio Pagan was closing games. He's now with the A's. I don't – I mean, I think a lot of guys can get, the, you know, the last three outs of the game depending on the matchups. Nick Anderson, to me, seems to have the most electric stuff. I mean, do we do we think that eventually – um, as it usually happens, and it's only 60 games this year, that that there will be a, a sort of you know default closer? Yeah, and uh, you know, I think if we were going to sit here now and say, you know, let's see how tonight's game goes, and if every single thing went as the Rays would want it to go, I think Nick Anderson would close it out. I think he's right. going to be the guy that, you know, when they set it up and then they go through these meetings in the afternoons and – Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of look at the other team's lineup and look at the their guys they have on the bench, and they kind of come up with slots like, hey, if, yeah. you know, the inning's going to start with the five or six bat, number fifth or six batter, this is a good slot for Castillo, or this is a good slot for Drake, or good slot for Fairbanks, or whoever it is. So, you know, I think sometimes that's how they govern themselves, but there also are times where 
okay, what's the hottest situation? You're going to use your best guy. And if that's Nick Anderson, you may see him in the seventh or eighth inning. But I also think he's the guy that they're going to probably have the most trust in, at least initially, uh, in a default situation to, to be that guy who gets the last three outs. And, and there's a little bit of gamble there. He hasn't done it very much. I think he did it once or twice last year. I think it was with the Marlins before he even came to the Rays. So, mm-hmm. you know, his opportunities to save games at the big league level, it, it really hasn't happened yet. And, you know, I remember specifically, I think it was last year. I know it was in Detroit because I remember the locker room. Chaz Rowe had a clo- was asked to close out a game, and he did. But I went to talk to him afterward, and he just, I mean, he still looked like, you know, you talk about the deer in the headlights kind of thing. <laughs> and he said, man, he goes, you know what? Everything they say is true. Those last three outs are different, man. I'd never done yeah. that before. And, you know, this guy who's played for, what, 10 teams and played for mm-hmm. played for ten or, eight or 10 years already in the big leagues. And so it is different. And, and, you know, maybe Nick Anderson can handle it, and it's no big deal. He says it won't. He says he doesn't care what inning it is, says he doesn't even notice, and he's even though he's right-handed, he's kind of flaky. So I kind of believe him that he doesn't know what inning it is uh, when he gets in there. But I, I do think it's different, and we'll see. But stuff-wise, I think he is the guy they're going to trust. And, you know, if Alvarado, you know, can win back their trust, he's a guy, you know, especially being from the left side, that could really finish games with a flourish, too. Castillo's done it a little bit. I don't think he particularly handles the pressure of it well. He seems to be a better in the seventh or eighth inning kind of guy. and. Right. Yeah, the other guys really are, are kind of more specialists in what they do. They all have a, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a specific pitch or a specific role that they pitch in. So I think it's going to come from one of those three guys. And, and right now I do think it's going to be Nick Anderson. You know, uh, the AL East, because of this new schedule, drew the NL East. And there are pretty good teams on, on that side as well, um, starting with the world champions, of course, in the Washington Nationals. But then you also have the Braves and, and a lot of stars in Philadelphia. Um, the Mets, I suppose, have have a few players we're familiar with, but what will be playing that many games against? You know, the National League. Um, I know they're going to use the DH throughout. Um, what what do you know about the NL East and just how the Rays might match up in, against some of those teams? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, in a way. I, I know I've seen some numbers that that say this isn't true, but I, I, I to me, it's just counterintuitive. I, I think there's. I don't think there's any way you can't say it's tougher for the Rays to be playing the Nationals, the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies rather than playing the White Sox and the Royals. I mean, the sure. Twins are really good, but they're not playing the Royals. They're not playing the Tigers. They're not getting to play yeah. the Mariners. They're not getting to play the Angels. I mean, yeah. there's some AL teams that you know they're going to do would do really well against that they've beaten over the years. They match up well against. So I, I, I know the numbers say it's not true, but I think their strength of schedule has to be considered tougher given who they're playing. And, and I think the one thing that you think of when you think of those those four National League East teams, now the Marlins, you have six games against them, which is 10% of the schedule. The Marlins yeah. are pretty bad. They're almost in Orioles territory, so that should mm-hmm. help the Rays. They're not quite mm-hmm. that bad, but they're not great. But those other four teams, the NL East is pitching. They all have really good pitching and, and starting pitching. Uh, obviously, you know, the Mets are a little nicked up. Syndergaard is out and Stroman looks like he's starting on the injured list with a hamstring or something, but you know, there's some really good pitchers on those four teams and, and that's going to be a challenge because we know the Rays, as we've talked about, you know, they're built to win with pitching and defense. They're trying to find ways. They're trying to add offense, trying to way to jack the offense up a little bit, but facing some of that starting pitching, you're going to see, and I don't have the schedule in front of me, but you go through some of those series where if they're facing, you know, the Yankees who have 
pretty good pitching. And then they go and face some of these National League East teams that have some really good pitching. You could have one of those road trips where, you know, two or three runs a day is a victory. Yeah, and then I mean, of course, the the American League East is is never been a, an easy division. And um, you know, when when spring training the first time was wrapping up, guys like Aaron Judge were a little bit nicked up. I, I think for the most part, I mean, we you mentioned Meadows, and we know that COVID's going to be a big story um, this year. But I mean, the Yankees are still. I think you know, if you were just handicapping a regular season, you'd say the Yankees and the Dodgers would be the two favorites. I don't know that anything's really changed that much in the American League East. No, I don't think it has. And if anything, uh, as you just alluded to, the the delay in starting the season was a great help for the Yankees because they were looking at opening the season without three or four uh, pretty key yeah. guys. I think they're all going to be back now and all ready to go. At least you know as they mm-hmm. they kind of went through the final days of spring two point oh. You know, Judge and Stanton are the two that come to mind. There's been a few yeah. others that were nicked up. Uh, that they do hope to get, or they will have back, and, and they do hope to be pretty much at full strength uh, when they take the field. And, and I think that's definitely their advantage. It would have been a lot tougher for them, which would have been thus easier for the Rays had they started in March with those guys out. Mm-hmm. They play Toronto today. Uh, Toronto is not a team that you would typically think would, would win the AL East, and yet, uh, you know, they're young. They have a lot of talent and uh, maybe not the pitching to sustain them. But, Mark, there will be a team that jumps out ahead that people don't expect, and you just wonder if they can ride some momentum. Could Toronto be one of those teams? Absolutely, and, and without saying who, but in talking to one of the Rays officials, you know, when the first schedule first came out and, you know, we saw the format, that was brought up that, you know, Toronto is a prime example of the kind of team that isn't good enough to win over 162 games. Really, right. really isn't. I mean, just they right. don't. The pitching's not going to be good enough. The right. hitting's not going to be consistent enough. But they got a lot of young position players. They've got you know the Suns group. They've got Vladdy Jr. and <laughs> Bo Bichette and Biggio, and they've got yeah. that group of the young kids that all grew up in the game. And you know they added some veteran pitchers and Ryu, who's pitching tonight, Shoemaker, and a couple of these guys. You know, and if they got off to a good start and the pitching was there and those young kids get a little confidence and they, you know, win what six, six of their first seven or eight yeah. of their first 10 or 11. And, you know, suddenly like, Hey, we, we can hang this, you know, forget the raisin blue, you know, forget the raisin Yankees. We're, we're good. We're winning right now. We got some confidence. Well, you run off a good month. You might have enough to stay in this race. It's only a two mm-hmm. month and a week season. So mm-hmm. I, I think Toronto is a great example of the kind of team that, would not be in there in a full season, but in this season could definitely be a factor and definitely be in the race. Mark, you talked to Charlie Morton. He gets the ball today, and it's uh, unbelievably uh, his first sort of opening day start. I mean, within, in a career that's been remarkable. Of course, his last two years have been his best. What did he have to say uh, about being the opening day starter, and, and why is he the right guy, even with the guys like Blake Snell and Tyler Glasnow on the staff? Well, I'll answer your second question first, and I think there's there's no doubt Charlie Morton's the right guy. And I, I think if you you know take emotion out of it and just say who would you trust the most mm-hmm. of the pitchers that the Rays have, and, and especially with Snell not looking real good in this this spring 2.0 mm-hmm. and Glass now missing the first two weeks because he had COVID nineteen, and you know Chirinos had COVID nineteen, he missed two weeks, and Yarbrough's looked good, and then his last outing he was a little shaky, but. I just think if you think of who you're going to trust, and then here's another thing: is like who, who pitched the wild card game last year? <laughs> yeah, you know, who did they trust in the 
arguably the single most important important game of the entire year. Yeah, I mean, it was set up to be Charlie Morton, and, and that was who they wanted on the mound. So I think he's absolutely the right guy. I, his comments, as always, very thoughtful, Charlie Morton. Mm. He, he'll ramble a little bit, and then he'll catch himself, and he'll say, I'm not sure where I was going with that. You'll be like, as a reporter, <laughs> like, no, no, don't stop. Keep going. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Keep talking, please. Let me yeah. get some more batteries here, but keep talking. <laughs> so he, he said, you know, it was an honor. He was excited. It is the first time in his 13-year career. I mean, we forget that, you know, we've seen Charlie Morton at his best with the Astros and now with the Rays, but yeah. there was a long time where Charlie Morton wasn't very good. He was a very pedestrian pitcher, and, yeah. you know, he was a number three and four guy on a Pittsburgh teams for a number of years. He went to Philly, didn't pitch much, mm-hmm. got hurt, and then he went to Houston, and they taught him to do things a little differently, and he's really taken off. But he wasn't that guy for much of his career, and saying you'd be an you know you'd be an all star, you'd start in a playoff game, you'd pitch in a World Series, you'd clinch a World Series, were things that were foreign to him. So, you know, he said getting to be an opening day starter is one of those things he always wanted to get to do once, and uh, was very honored to get the opportunity. He was going to be the guy had they opened on March 26th against the Pirates as well. So it's it's three or four months delayed, but but also candid enough to say you know it, it's kind of a shame a little bit. I mean his. His mom's obviously, you know, older, and she was going to come down. His sister lives up in New Jersey. She was going to bring her down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie and Cindy live here in Bradenton. They've got four kids. You know, they had a kind of a family thing planned for this. And, you know, he said part of it was a shame that, you know, there won't be fans there. They won't be able to have anyone there. And uh, the circumstances will make it a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, he's still trying to look at it in the context of, of the honor that it is and the you know, as he said, it means your team thinks you're pretty good or they think that they trust you. You know, they, they, they like you enough to trust you to do it. And, and he wants to be in that position. So I, I think he's, you know, I, I saw some social media reaction of people saying, you know, oh, that's oh, poor baby. You know, things like, well, no, that wasn't what he meant. What he meant was, yes, I'm incredibly honored to do it. But, you know, sure, I would much rather we were in a normal situation where I could have my family and my friends around me and, and make this into the event that, you know, it normally would be. Well, it'd be a pumped up uh, Tropicana field, obviously, the the way they, they ended um, their last game against Houston. I think you would have had a full house, but he'll still be jacked up to do it. Finally, and I'll get you out on this one, you wrote a story um, on Kevin Cash in the Tampa Bay Times, and you can read that on tampabay.com. Kevin Cash, I, I didn't even realize this. He's one of the more tenured managers in baseball. I mean, you know, we tend to think of like – you know, the, some of these guys that have been around a while, but when you really look at who's been with their same teams, I mean, Kevin is is right there, and, and yet, you know, he's coming off a couple 90-plus win seasons. Um, he seems built for this type of assignment, and maybe any assignment, but if you have to be loose and yet also be very serious and, and try to win every game at the same time, I think I think Cash will embrace this, don't you? Oh, I, I totally do, and and he uh, said something. In fact, in his his uh, Zoom call, which we don't get to do in person interviews anymore, but his Zoom call on Wednesday, uh, they had kind of their last quasi inner squad game. It was a little bit hokey, but uh, they ran all the relievers out. I think everybody but Castillo uh, pitched. I think it was, and they just yeah. used each guy for like two or three batters. And and he said that it, it kind of got his juices flowing a little bit, like you know, just the <laughs> idea of. You know, he said you start to feel like you're managing again, and he's missed that. And and um, mm-hmm. it was a little far in the first week or two of camp because they were so worried about the protocols. But yeah, I do think that. And I spoke with his wife. I appreciate you mentioning the story. I spoke with his wife Emily, and and she yeah. talked about how you know he he tried to make the best of the shutdown, and you know did all this stuff around the house and with the kids and and everything else. But that there were days where she said, I just I, I just don't talk enough baseball for him, you know. And he wanted to 
be with the coaches and talking baseball. And that's what Kevin Cash does. And he's grown up in the game. His, his dad played, his uncle played. Yeah. Um, you know, he played since he was a kid, he was a literally World Series kid from Tampa. I mean, all everything you could do in baseball. Uh, so that's what he does. And he manages. And it's his happy place to be at the field with the guys. And uh, he will embrace this challenge. And, and you know, his, his amount of sarcasm and his, uh, the volume at which he carries himself and all that, I think really, uh, really, you know, strikes a good tone with the players. I think they like, you know, the exchanges that he creates with them. It's not a, it's not a authoritativeness. It's not a dictatorship. It's not a Lou Pinella situation where, you know, p- players were scared of him, you know, and, and that worked and it worked really well, but I think it's just a different group of players now. And some of the managing styles are different. I think Kevin Cash strikes a really good connection with these guys. And, and I think it will work for them in this situation. Cause look, they're used to doing things weird, Rick. They're used to doing things different. <laughs> they're used to doing openers and, and pitchers yeah. playing first base and, platoon mm-hmm. splits and and all this crazy stuff and defensive shifts now they're this year you're going to see them i think you're going to see them more often than we think in this five-man infield two-man outfield alignment and, wow. and they're just they do different stuff so playing in a season where everything's different isn't going to feel that weird to them no it's not they're built for it and uh, kevin cash succeeding a guy like joe madden and managing to do it very well and carve his own niche in the game is is really a compliment to him the fans won't be at the trop, but Mark Tompkin will. And you can read all about the opener today against the Toronto Blue Jays in the Tampa Bay Times and on tampabay.com. Thanks, Mark. We appreciate it. All right, Rick. Sounds good. We'll see you at the ball game. We'll drag you out there one more time before the Bucks get I hope busy. so, man. I hope so. I'll be watching. You bet. Well, on Monday, we'll have everything to talk about with the Rays and Jays series. Also, the Lightning head to Toronto. They'll be in the bubble, the NHL bubble, on Sunday. And the Rays rookies. They'll be back in the building after uh, they hopefully pass a couple of COVID tests over the weekend. And so Bucks football training camp is really upon us with the rookies in the building on Monday. So we've got lots to talk about next week. Hope you guys have a great weekend. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.